Welcome to the Deeper Dive Podcast, brought to you by the OC Church of Christ. Let's dive deep into God's Word, learning new insight, and taking a fresh look at the verses that impact our daily lives. Today is the third of our four-part study of 1 Peter. Here is Eric Ennis. Here's something that's kind of an odd fact about me, is that uh, I'm actually a certified rescue diver. I got certified many years ago. It's I love the ocean. It's one of those things where I think it's one of the reasons I still live in California is I just love the ocean. And I can personally testify how amazing our ocean is. And like God's presence, it existed before mankind, but it still causes us to wonder. And we continue to learn new things each time we dive in. I realize that though for some people, this is as close to the ocean as they feel comfortable. They might know some basics about the ocean, you know, there's fish and there's water and that's about all I want to know. Others of you have probably explored a little bit more. Maybe you went snorkeling and swam with some fish and and kind of explored a little bit of the vastness and, and got to see some marine life. But there may be a few of us in here that have actually gone much deeper in our exploration. And one of the things to know about diving is the further down you go, the, the, the further you, you know, the further meters that you down you go in the sense of 10 meters, 20 meters, 30 meters, 40 meters, the less oxygen you actually have. And so the less time you have to explore other things because of the pressurization of oxygen. Why am I sharing all this? Because I'm about to try to cover two whole chapters of Peter. And there's gonna be some segments where I'm gonna to have to, I'm gonna to try to dive deep, but that means there's gonna be less room for me to explore other facets of the book. And and I wish I could cover it all. But the good news is you still have the Bible study guide and you still can go on your own and or with your small group and go back and and look at scriptures that we haven't got to cover tonight. And I would encourage you to be a Berean and study the scriptures to see, make sure that what I'm saying is true. So with that said, I just want to remind us of some Bible basics. Uh, This is something that we just kind of continually want to reaffirm our Bible uh, knowledge and our understanding of it. And that is the Bible is written by man, but inspired by God. And the Bible is to be lived. So this is what we believe about the Bible. Here's tonight's questions. I'm giving them to you up front so you can be thinking about them because I'm going to be covering a lot of material. And I know that sometimes it's nice to have the questions up front. I also want you to ask about what the last time that you really had to suffer for doing good. Obviously, I'm giving you a clue what we're going to be talking about tonight with suffering. And how do you manage it? And what lessons did you learn uh, from it? And then finally, what questions do you have or would you have for the Apostle Peter if he was sitting here uh, regarding this type of material that we're covering? Or me, you know, obviously Peter's not here. So with that said, let's begin two chapters of 1 Peter now. So here are some notable and controversial passages from 1 Peter taken out of context, of course. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether the king as one in authority, honor the king. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. In the same way, you wives, be subject to your own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. Yep. This is what we're going to be talking through tonight. Now, currently my Zoom is not on gallery mode, but I imagine if I was to see your faces, this is probably what you'd be looking like right now. 
having read some of those scriptures. Now, obviously, I'm not making fun of the Bible, but I am kind of making fun of our immediate reactions to hearing things that are difficult rather than having the patience to see what God wants to teach us. And oftentimes we can jump to conclusions when we read things rather than let God's spirit speak and see what he has to say. So tonight I'm going to be starting with the translation and we're going to be using both the NASB, which is a more of a word to word translation and the NIV, which helps a more dynamic equivalent uh, the genre. Remember it's a letter. This is written to a particular group of people. This is a group of people that had been exiled from Jerusalem up to Asia minor. And this was written for a text to be sent around and around to help encourage the church, specifically a group of believers who are being persecuted. So let's dive in. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. These first two verses might be the most important in providing a frame for the next two chapters. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Again, I'm, I'm using this as a frame. This will help guide us because this is really setting the pace and setting the tone for what Peter's going to be talking about. He's saying, hey, you're foreigners and exiles. Stay away from sin. Live such good lives that though people are persecuting you and though you are suffering through this persecution and though you're having to submit through this persecution, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. This is really our major theme. Submission and or suffering for righteousness sake to achieve God's glory. Now, submission and suffering are two topics we don't like to talk about, let alone do or feel. Yet this will be the call to the disciples in these exiled provinces. So this scripture is going to guide us as we head into his instruction to the various spheres of influence that he's dealing with. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will by that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This passage is addressing everyone living under Roman authority. And there are several key points here. One, we're, submit to, we're, we're supposed to submit to human authority for God's sake. But it's reminding us that human authority also falls under God's authority, and he uses it for his purpose. It's always easy to submit to authority when we agree with it. It's hard to do so when we don't. And he's telling them under Roman authority, submit to this emperor. And to remind them that they are to live righteously to limit the persecution that they're going through. And he's also telling them, hey, we know you're free. You are free people. But that doesn't mean you get to participate in evil. You are to serve God. Now, I know the election cycle is, it seems like we're becoming more and more divided every election cycle. And, and 
it gets harder and harder to feel like we want to submit to whatever that group is. But yet this is the call that he has. And when you think about who Peter's talking about here, when Peter's making this claim, Nero was emperor. Nero would be one of the worst emperors as far as treatment to Christians. In fact, it would be the emperor who tradition tells us it would be this one who kills Peter. So he's not just talking about an emperor that he likes. He's talking about someone he knows is dangerous. Yet it reminds me of the scripture that Jesus talked about, which says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar and give unto God what is God's. The idea that we are to serve God, but that doesn't mean that we, we aren't supposed to be under authority. Now, this doesn't mean complete submission as in follow them in evil. The Bible never preaches that kind of submission. You submit to God first. But where you can live in peace under a political authority, as long as you do not sin, live righteously, obeying the law of the land. Now, when I read this, you know, there's times I can look at this and go, that seems like a bad plan. You know, shouldn't God's people be overthrowing these governments? The answer is they will. Just not in the way you think. For those history buffs in the room, you know that Christianity was one of the reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire. As the Caesars continued to persecute Christians, more and more people saw their plight. And they began to defend them because of their righteous living. And they even started to become Christians themselves because they saw the convictions they had and the willingness to stand up for what is right, even at all costs. Do we have the faith to trust in God against such overwhelming odds? So he's just told everyone, submit to this authority that we have as far as politically. Now he's going to address particular groups. The first group he talks to is slaves. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure, this is commendable before God. This is a completely controversial passage and I know it, and we need to contextualize it. Because I know when it comes to slavery, we all have a viewpoint here. And we all have to recognize that our perceptions of slavery do not necessarily fit the biblical reality. Because for most of us, when we think slavery, we think the Atlantic slave trade. We think plantation, which is just one type of slavery that exists in the United States. And the pain and the hardship and the cultural destruction that took place here. And for many of us, this is our view of slavery. And this might be your view of slavery. For myself, having lived in a foreign country, I was able to witness slavery firsthand. So I see slavery a little differently. There are more slaves today in the world than ever existed in the entire existence of the Atlantic slave trade. Now, in case you think slavery is in other countries or other people's problems, I'll have you know that five out of the top 25 cities in the U.S. for human trafficking are right here in California. 
Uh, recent, I used to work with a charity for a decade that dealt with this. And, and so it's still very much reality. So I realize that we all come with different perceptions of slavery, but I need to ground you in slavery at that time. What that word meant to those people. So let me first introduce you to why slavery exists even historically. There's a few reasons why slavery exists. War, what do you do with people you conquer? It's a challenge. Do you leave them to die in a city that's been ravaged? Do you kill them all? What do you do? Then you have greed and power, obvious reasons for slavery. Poverty, this is a common reason for slavery, is, is debt slavery. This is indentured servant. Think of the early United States when people would come to the United States to be like, I need to get here and I'm willing to be an indentured servant for a time. Very common reason for slavery. But now let's be perfectly clear here. And I, I wanna be as clear as I can be. And that is this, God does not endorse human slavery. Anywhere in the Bible, he never does. Uh, the past two weeks, I think I've read every scripture on slavery. He doesn't endorse human slavery at any time in the Bible. Now that doesn't mean there wasn't biblical laws concerning slavery, there were. But it's a lot like divorce in the Bible. God created unity, sin created division. God allowed divorce because of our sinful nature, but then made laws to protect the weak, which was typically women. This is gonna be similar to slavery because the biblical laws concerning slavery was the idea of protecting slaves. So nearly every biblical law of slavery existed to protect slaves. And even how you became a slave was very different. Most slaves in the Bible volunteered. That is not something we think about as, as for being a slave. You would volunteer to be a slave. Typically, debt slavery was the major reason. And there's all kinds of laws on treatment, which how you couldn't mistreat a slave. And once a slave was set free, you had to set them up financially. And how did you stop being a slave? Well, a couple ways. One, after seven years, you had to set them free. But you could also leave voluntarily as a slave which again, doesn't sit well with my perception of what slavery is. But at that time, if you didn't want to be a slave, you could just leave. And the law in the Bible was you couldn't send them back. So just recognize that slavery in the Bible was very different than maybe what you and I might think of slavery. And then I also got to explain what Roman slavery is like, because life as a Roman slave, again, was different. It's estimated that 90% of the city's population was slaves. And at that time, slaves could own property. They could own other slaves. You could advance socially as a slave. Most slaves in Rome were debt slaves, meaning you were working off a of debt because it didn't, they didn't have loans from banks in situations like this. And the types of jobs for slaves were things like tutors and professors and estate managers and bookkeepers and doctors and artisans. Philosophers would be hired as slaves. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't hard jobs of slaves, too. Mining would be one of the hardest jobs for slaves. But there's still that biblical reference for Christians that they can leave voluntarily. So if we're to gain an understanding, we need to allow these texts to speak first into the culture in which they're originally written. I know a lot of people think, man, how come God just didn't abolish slavery? The possibility of wholesale abolition was not available until much later in history. And then it was the result of the theological convictions of Christians based on the very text and questions. Meaning, we realize some people use the Bible to, to justify slavery. But when abolition was being done, when people were setting slaves free over the last several hundred years, 
almost every country was using the Bible as justification of why we need to set, things, set slaves free. The various scriptures we're going to, we went through or, or I read were the reasons why we ended slavery. And I'm going to give you one more perspective on slavery, just because I know this is a hot topic. This is Epictetus. Epictetus was a famous Roman Stoic philosopher. This is a statement from him. He says, what evil did I suffer in my state of slavery? Another clothed me, another supplied me with shoes, another fed me, another looked after me in sickness. I did only a few services for him, but now a wretched man, what things I suffer being a slave of many instead of to one. If he was to, if we were to introduce him to our lives, this philosopher would think our lives are worse than his. Interesting perspective. He would say that we're a slave to many because of all the bills and responsibilities. I'm a slave to my mortgage. I'm a slave to my car payment. I'm a slave to my job. I'm a slave to my phone bill. That's how he would see it. Versus just having one master, he would say that we have many. And realize, although for centuries, Christians were relatively powerless to change the Roman society from the top down. Remember, the early Christians would change it we'll change it from the bottom up. One more comment on slavery, and that's just God's view of slavery. So this is God's true view. God's first worst demand in the Garden of Eden is you are free. You're free to eat any tree in the Garden of Eden. You're, you're free. Slavery exists in mankind because of sin. We set ourselves into bondage. And God has redeemed us as his. We choose to be his slaves. We're volunteering ourselves. We're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. We get to decide this. But God chooses to call us sons and daughters. He doesn't see us as slaves. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also an heir. So though we may have come into his family volunteering in debt, saying, God, we're willing to be your slave. God is saying, I don't want slaves. I want sons. I want daughters. So this is the world of Peter, and this is who he's talking to. So what does Peter tell these slaves who are being ridiculed for their faith, who are being persecuted what does he say to him? He says, this shall never happen to you. And then he ordered them to pull the sword and strike at them. No, he didn't say that. Well, he did say this, but not at this time. Let me take you back and reintroduce you to Peter. This is who Peter was. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
a little while later, later in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend, speaking to Judas as he was being betrayed. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put on my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Sometimes the hardest passages are not those we do not understand, but the ones we do understand, but may not want to follow. So what does Peter really tell these slaves who are being ridiculed for their faith? Again, that's who Peter was. This shall never happen to you. You can't suffer, Jesus. They're trying to take you, Jesus. Let me draw my sword and let me kill these people to defend you, Jesus, because we can't allow this suffering to take place. This is who Peter is now. To these slaves, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter had a firsthand view of watching Jesus suffer for our sake. And now he's calling these servants to submit to their masters, to show them God's love in order, to, in order for God's glory to be shown and for them to be converted. That's a hard thing to call people to. But he's reminding them that Jesus did it first for us. He's reminding them of, of the secrets to Jesus' success. He didn't retaliate when he could have. He didn't threaten maybe when he should have. And he never wavered. He entrusted himself to God. He didn't retaliate. He didn't threaten. He didn't waver. I know my, myself, I would want to do all those things. But thank God Jesus didn't. And now he's calling these people in this situation to live like Jesus, as he calls us in our situation to live like Jesus. Now Peter moves on to the household. And he's going to talk about submission in death. You got to realize he's talking about submission in several different spheres. He began with the government. Then he moved to the workplace, which was the master-slave relationship. And now he's moving into the home. Uh, when the Bible speaks of submission, it usually does so in several different areas. Paul does the same thing. Often people want to single out submission in the home as if that's the only place that it matters. Not that it matters in every other area of our life. Everyone has to submit to someone. And we all have to submit to God. It's important not to let that, it's not to, to get the idea that submission means inferior. It's, sometimes we, we confuse the two. That's not what submission means. And oftentimes that's a common situation in Western society. Is submission means inferior. No. Submission itself can be completely consistent with equality and importance, dignity and honor. Jesus himself submitted to his parents, despite being the Messiah. 
He submitted to God the Father despite being his equal. And he submitted to us by taking our sins despite being our Lord and King. By the way, this passage is also calling women to submit to their own husbands. So keep that in mind. Let's read it. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not, be merely, should not merely come from outward adornment. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, this is not teaching that women are just to submit to every man. It's not what it's saying. Again, submit to their own husbands. I think sometimes that idea of women submitting everywhere in all facets of life gets thrown in. That's not taught biblically. And this teaching would be especially relevant to first century married women who decided to follow Jesus. Because if you're a first century married woman who decided to follow Jesus, that would raise a lot of questions in her mind. Should I leave my husband since he's a non-believer? Should I change my behavior toward my husband? Or even, you know, when will my husband come up to my level? After all, I worship the true king and God. He's a mere pagan. It was unheard of for a woman at that time to not believe in the gods of her husband. And so the submission was to especially to help change the hearts of these husbands and reminding them that often your life will be the greatest testimony of God's favor. He then moves to the husbands because again, it's not always just one group. He's hitting everybody. New husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman. And again, this one is the word for word translation here and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. What does Peter mean by weaker is the common question. Is it physically, socially, economically, or is he making some separate point about weaker vessels? The fact is that's missing the point. At that time, men had all the rights, and women only had responsibilities. Nero himself killed his wife because he accused her of adultery and just killed her. Women could never do that in Roman society. Peter is saying to understand their struggle, husbands, and admire her as equal heir of God. Peter also throws in a warning so that your prayers will not be hindered. Whoa. Husbands, if God is not answering your prayers, how are you treating your wife? That's what he's saying. He's saying, husbands, take care of this woman. She's in a weaker position than you. So therefore, your responsibility is to take care. But reminding her, reminding him that you're to show her honor and she's equal to you. She's a fellow heir of the grace of God. And then he hits everybody. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because this is this 
To this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. We all are supposed to be humble to one another. We're all supposed to be compassionate to one another. We're all supposed to be sympathetic and we're supposed to have a like mind. And that like mind isn't meaning you're supposed to just think like me. That like mind is we're supposed to think the way God thinks. And that's why it's so important to get into God's word to understand who he is. And then he tells us who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. I'll move quickly now to 1 Peter 4. I'll have to jump a little bit for the sake of time. But Peter is going to once again remind the church of Christ's suffering. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and testful idolatry. They are surprised you do not join them in their reckless and wild living, and they heap abuse on you. It's Christ's suffering that is the reason we can persevere in the trials. It's Christ's suffering and his submission that allows us to submit. And it's Christ's suffering is the reason why we can also endure suffering. By the way, I'm also amazed about how little progress mankind has made in about 2,000 years. Because the same list of sins that he's laying out here 2,000 years ago and the same character issues and the same problems of society still plague us today. And society still looks at us like, why aren't you going and living this life with us? Why aren't you doing these things too? But in verse five, he will say, but they, have, but they will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. So even though at this moment, it may feel like, wait a minute, how come they're not being, you know, I'm trying to live this righteous life and they're doing whatever. God's saying, hey, they will face a judgment if they do not repent. The goal for us is that we love them enough and we live righteously enough that they will want to repent. In verse seven, the end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as a faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Verse 8 here was one of Risa's, my wife's favorite scriptures in our marriage. And it's probably the reason why we had such a good union, because of the amount of sin that she had to overlook. But this scripture holds true for our church, being a family and community of believers. We also need to love each other deeply, and, and love covers over a multitude of sins. I was reading a passage on love by, by somebody by the name of Wade Gruden, and he wrote this, and I'm, I'm just going to quote it for you because I thought it was amazing. He says, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, 
Many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. I feel like he could be, you know, that could be written to us today in so many ways. You know, I'm not on social media really at all, but to see the way people communicate with one another, to, say, to see the way people even communicate in fellowship at times. I just think, man, if we were able to love each other deeply and we were able to give the benefit of the doubt, and this was something, again, I was deeply taught by my wife, it's giving the benefit of the doubt, how much more rich our fellowship could be as a family and as a community. I'll end by looking at that being a faithful steward of God's grace. We've been given a ton and so much grace, but it's, be, it's to be used to help God's kingdom. Many of you have tremendous talents and the world pays you for them. How can you use those talents that God has given you to serve others? Whether it be your neighbors, your friends, or God's kingdom. Finally, remember, submission is godly. We all have to submit. And suffering for righteousness' sake can and does achieve God's glory. Because by his wounds, we are healed. So with that, we've got through practically two chapters of First Peter. Here are the questions again. What was the most challenging part of this lesson today for you and why? When was the last time you had to really suffer for doing good? And how did you manage it then? And what lessons did you learn? And I know I covered a lot of, of controversial topics here tonight. Things, scriptures that are often used against Christians. But what questions might you have for the Apostle Peter, even about those topics or just about how to live this out yourself? Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Deeper Dive by the OC Church of Christ. If you want to get connected to us or want to donate to the program, go to our website, occhurchofchrist.com, or contact us through social media at the OC Church. Join us next time for our next Deeper Dive.